Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hello ladies and welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. So happy you are tuning in and if you are new to the podcast, welcome. On TE's last episode, I brought in Amy Russo as a co-host to talk about the book Radical Womanhood, Feminine Faith in a Feminist World. We went into the history of the feminist movement and the popular women involved in it. In this discussion, we will look at some of the history and cultural changes that influence the feminism we see today, specifically looking at the progression from women being moral arbiters in American society to the loosing of sexual morals found in ranch culture. We also talk about the effects of the Industrial Revolution on the home and how what one believes about the home will have an effect on the woman's role within the home, which also influences the church. Really, I think it's just fascinating stuff. So, without further ado, here's our discussion on Radical Womanhood, Part 2. Alright, um, so this is our second part of our yes. interview. We've taken about a week break to uh assess all our thoughts pretty much and attack it again (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to put it that works yeah um and and we're still looking at the book radical womanhood by uh carolyn carolyn mccully i'm saying carolyn mccully Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and uh, we're getting into i think very like i love the history I, Mm -hmm. i really did that was very enlightening but the social changes that took place really you start to see just you it 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 really helps you see why feminism came out like it did and why it just kind of it grabbed people Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely it's uh you know as we we stated last time that um the roots of feminism came from women's equality as far as women wanting to be um equal citizens you know or actual citizens um, of mm-hmm. the country, have voting rights, um, <clears throat> have more uh, equal legal recognition uh, in marriage. Right. Uh, so the, the things that started all of this were for very good reasons. Um, but as most things that humans do where we're in a fallen world, sin gets involved and it goes off the rails eventually. Yep. yep. Yeah. So um, like last time, I like to keep you kind of, you've got the flow of it. Um, so if you bring in these uh, kind of the themes that are brought through the book, um, that'd be great. I'm just going to lean on you and I'll interject every once in a while and maybe bring up a quote and we can discuss, but I like the way you were doing it before. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll try to we'll try to do that again. If you would like to pray for us, that would oh, be cool. Oh, that'd be great. Okay, I know I almost forgot too. <laughs> no, no I, last time uh, we I was praying beforehand, 
like before mm-hmm. and it just I think it went so smooth but that yeah we didn't pray like we I wanted to I even thought okay we need to do that and then that, I, I do the same that. thing so all right I will pray Lord, I thank you so much for the ability to come together, even though we are miles apart through this uh, wonderful application, the ability to talk online and record it and to produce something for women to know the history, to uh, learn and be enlightened by what you call the uh, evil principalities of this world. And we're able to it with your word lord and um with your spirit and i pray that you bless this discussion that it opens women's eyes and um helps them to trust and lean more on your word father to guide them into true biblical womanhood and what that looks like i thank you lord for your son who died on the cross for our sins and in his name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I might keep that in there. <laughs> <laughs> you get to do what you want to yeah. do, but yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let's start. I guess we're picking it back up from chapter five, starting chapter five and looking mm-hmm. at home and the golden domesticity. Yes, if we can see how many times we can actually <laughs> say that correctly before we stumble over it. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think both of us agreed that this chapter five, where, well, the title is There's No Place Like Home, uh, talks about the history of domesticity. And there was some history there that I never knew before. Yeah, me too. And there was actually, it was a very short-lived age, but it was considered a, a golden age of uh, domesticity, which happened, hang on, sorry. Nope, it's okay. Oh, I see. Let me back up. Um, what What's interesting with this chapter is that uh, she gives a bit of a history of just what the home is. And right. uh, based on an author, West, uh, Linda Hirschman, obviously a feminist author, who was highly upset over the fact that, you know, of women who had gotten married, um, then had babies and then decided to be at home oh. full time. Right. And, and she was quite angry about that. Right. So this is like a writer in the 80s or 90s, right? Right. Linda Her- Hirschman, you said, right? Yeah. But yes. she's, oh, she was so shocked by it. She did research on a why it, why that kind of be, uh, became like that. Mm-hmm. Like what mm-hmm. she was going in the mentality. Okay. Exactly. And excuse me. Um, yeah, I have the note. Wow. Next to the quote that uh, Macaulay uses where the woman or this author is saying uh, women aren't using their capacities fully. They are unfree dependence on their husbands. Um, they just cut back on their commitment and that this is what really got me. Their talent and education are lost from the public world. Yeah. So this just started this whole um, idea of, stay-at-home moms. And in this chapter and the other chapter called Mommy Wars, the one following it, there's a bit of interweaving with that. But McCulley is does a really good job of, of bringing it back um, to the home and really pointing out that, she says, it's um, the value of the home versus the value of the marketplace. 
So that was one part of, of the debate. And then the second was the definition and practice of motherhood. So yeah. then she focuses on, on the home with, uh, with this particular chapter, this chapter five. And then she gives a history of really what home was. Uh, talks about how the size of a home increased from the 50s to 2000. Now, just as a reminder to your listeners, this book was written in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but what's scary is the fact of just how much of this stuff is still there and has expanded, which right. we'll talk about, you know, later on. Right. But then it's interesting that she talks about what, you know, the Old Testament home, you know, for uh, Hebrew women would have been like, um, really how involved the women during that time were in the home and in the household, running of the household with their husbands and, you know, and their families, uh, really that, and the, oh, one point that I thought she brought up that she got from the new illustrated Bible manners and customs was the fact that, and this is sort of an aha moment, but it, it shouldn't be mothers who are at home or mothers, even if they're working tend to be the primary teachers of their children, right? So they're the ones that have the most of the time, the biggest influence on their kids. Mm -hmm. So what she says is that, um, you know, the mother taught the children. This is quoting from the uh, illustrated uh, Bible manners on page 101. The mother taught the children. This is an important point to keep in mind when we think of all the pagan women in Solomon's harem, incapable of bringing up children in the ways of God and thus contributing to the rise of idolatry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how that went <laughs> should not surprise anybody or right. how his children behaved and decisions that they made as, as we read it in scripture shouldn't surprise us. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then she walks into, you know, the new Testament home and, you know, not whole uh, a great deal had changed. Uh, you know, we talk about the Proverbs 31 woman. Right. And this is a very capable woman who runs her household, um, is out in the field, making sure things are running, that, crops are brought in, that mm -hmm. uh, material is made, that products get to market, you know, takes care of her servants, takes care of her children, takes care of her husband, is just a very capable, strong, decision-making woman. Yep. And is admired by both the community as well as her husband and her children. Yep. Yeah, so they, if, it, I ahead. think one of the things that's fascinating about the uh, Proverbs 31 women, right? Like you listed, uh, she works outside of the home. She makes things and sells them and she, you know, she can own property uh, or buy property. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That it's also, I think one of the first things you know about her is that um, the men in the town square, I think that it described it. They know her, they know her husband, so it's like almost her husband is kind of almost identified by her as well. There's a that's true. Not that she's like taking a headship over him, but mm -hmm. um, she she's well loved her reputation, by right? Like, uh, and I think that's very fascinating to think. So one one of the things that I loved what she talked about is how the Hebrew women uh, being respected, but also that it was a family unit, right? Like mm -hmm. business and whatever the husband did. It's like the wife came along 
supplemented that in some way. They were working together. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's what on uh, the home was a community. And as, as she said, though men and women had different tasks, they generally labored together in the same vicinity mm-hmm. because people weren't spread out. People didn't go away from the home to work. Everybody was in either the home working or within that small community doing what they do, their trades, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, their marketing, all of that. Uh, so that's, that's how things had been for hundreds of years. And, and we're not talking just the Israelites and uh, even during Jesus's time, this was across the board. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you, I mean, I'm big on um, Celtic history. I like to read stuff about Ireland and Scotland and that kind of thing. And uh, just recently read even from the almost like prehistoric times through this kind of, of close knit community where the women were working alongside their husbands, each doing their thing in harmony. Mm-hmm. So this, this isn't a new, this isn't a new idea. This wasn't something that was new um, with the Israelites. Right. So, and I just want to interject too. So mm-hmm. this means because the home is, so very central and is important to raising up the next generation um the mentality among society then is that um uh i had it in my brain (laughs) the (laughs) the mentality is then there's an important importance to the family Right. There's value to the family. Right. There's, exactly. there's value. And we she goes into later how that changes and how our view of home completely it like does a 180. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so yeah. So what really what really came along is well, they called it Republican motherhood. Uh and that's in the early, early period of America. Mm-hmm there was still that similar, you know, community bond. And when a woman, a man and woman married, many times a woman then learned the husband's trade Mm -hmm. so that she could be part of and partner with and um, help this along because this was what the family did. And so this is how you kept the family going and moving forward. And, and it was, yes, she had the primary teaching of the children, uh, but the father was there too. So there was, it was all together. Which makes sense because if you are, it's almost like a family business, mm-hmm. whatever trade you're in, mm-hmm. um, you are having to, the father's having to teach the children the trade and mm-hmm. the mother's tr- trying to teach them to read and write and, you know, wisdom and stuff like that. Not mm-hmm. that the father's not doing that. He's doing that too. You know, they're pl- both doing it together, but that's how important both of those roles were right the father and the mother right and really what happened was um the industrial revolution yep as as she uh reminds us historically is that the industrial revolution and the increased urbanization of our new nation drastically altered what had been the status quo for centuries yeah this fascinated me because of yeah, because it, it brought on what you have here in your notes, which is in the book, the golden age of domesticity. Mm-hmm. And that was 
there was a quote that I'm going to have to find here because it explains it very well. Oh, here we go. Um, after I'm re uh, you okay with me reading it, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> okay. please. Um, this is on page 109. It says, after centuries of teaching that husbands and fathers were divinely called to the office of household headships, headship, the church began to pitch its appeal primarily to women. Church men began to speak of women as having a special gift for religion and morality. In short, instead of challenging the grow, growing secularism among men, because I guess at this time, uh, the Industrial Revolution, we were also having a sort of enlightenment. I'm getting my history wrong. I'm, a, I'm willing to be corrected. <laughs> Because I know you're all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, I often do that, but, <laughs> but well, um, I do yeah. the same thing. So people, I mean, you have Darwinism, which she's going to go into a little later, but you have all these uh, the separation of God and theology from life period mm -hmm. and um, from uh, school institutions and stuff like that. Um, but let me go back to the quote. I sure. <laughs> okay. So it, she says, in short, instead of challenging the growing secularism among men, the church largely acquiesced, acquiesced by turning to women. Churchmen seemed really to find at least one sphere, the home where religion still held sway. Um, and then I think she starts to talk about how these women were started to be the moral. Uh, what's the word she used? Well, they were the moral um, pole, the moral center, because yeah. the, the women had become, uh, they had become involved in public, wanting to be part of public change and wanting to be in the sense of, you know, they'd write letters, they'd write books, they, mm -hmm. you know, if they, if they didn't like or were outraged at something that was going on socially, uh, you know, they, they'd campaign for it by writing letters. Um, she mentions this share, excuse me, Sarah Hale, who definitely was not a feminist. Mm -hmm. um, she opposed uh, woman suffrage and she believed in separate spheres for the sexes, but she did advocate for uh, improvement in women's status, better education, including higher education. Mm -hmm. So here's someone who, you know, just thought that women should be educated. Yeah. And that that it was the for for the greater good, not changing roles or anything, but for the greater good and just adding value all the way around. Right. Um, and then uh, she mentions Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. Which never before had there been uh, such a popular female writer. Exactly. And yep. and writing on a very hot button topic at the time. I mean, when she. I think when she wrote this, yeah, she wrote this in 1851, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. It was after the um, Fugitive Slave Act. Mm -hmm. So it was even before the Civil War. But she she swayed public opinion by this book, but yet she wasn't a feminist. Right. So after a while, it, again, you know, good good intentions breed bad theology sometimes <laughs> I guess uh, you know they were active in reform societies charitable organizations they were trying to um, deal with social issues of you know the poor um, orphanages uh, alcoholism 
Yeah. All those kinds of things. Yeah, I remember uh, watching something recently about how they really partook of uh, uh, getting, trying to get rid of the alcoholism. They passed certain laws and stuff mm-hmm. during this time period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's when what you just quoted on 109, I was utterly fascinated with the idea that the lack of male leadership started here. Lack of male leadership within the church because the church just capitulated to what society was considering good and normal. Right. And my goodness, that's way back when, you know. Oh, yeah, that's what I was just just thinking. (laughs) It's like um, it's uh, I have to do some more research, but I just recently read um, work on um, liberalism. So I'm wondering how the line historically, you know, starting with met, well, of course, Darwinism, the view that uh, religion and state and stuff like this are to be separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and religion and society are to be separate and um, men starting to, you know, uh, undermine scripture believe that it's not authoritative and the line that you know continues throughout mm-hmm. the uh, early 19th century so it's just like i'm i'm curious to know how that kind of goes um that might be something i do in another podcast but yeah <laughs> yeah i think that'd be a, a whole <laughs> subject unto itself but it, it really did have um you know, what really was a good thing with these women trying to be involved and make sure that they were, they were behaving biblically. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how many of these women were Christians, but they were behaving biblically in taking care of orphans and children mm-hmm. or widows and orphans, I should say. And, you know, looking to have society just take care of some of these evils that were out there. Mm-hmm. And then again, it just, uh, They just wanted to take one step. And really, Liz, she says that, you know, the the golden age of domesticity was a short one. Yeah. Because then we had Darwinism. Yeah. And that probably had the biggest impact on moving feminism forward, at least I think. I mean, just look at the damage all of that has done. Yeah. So, so much damage. Yeah. Yeah. Between evolution and... um, this idea of who's more evolved, what's more evolved. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's done damage to uh, ethnicities and mm-hmm. male and female relationships and and all of that. It's it's just really it's just really awful, and it's not particularly scientific. Although people will swear that it is. Yeah. Um, it's just so much of this that that isn't proven, but they take it as scientific fact. Yeah. It's their religion. It is. You're right. That's exactly it. Uh, um, can we talk a little bit about go into a little bit more of the industrial revolution, how it changed um, the home specifically? Well, let's see, because then became more the whole idea of home economics, you know, the home as as the security. Hang on to the home economics piece that that comes a little bit later. But because the men were going out and they were in the factories and, and in you know, the harsh life of, of the city. Yet contributing to society, right? Contributing to society. Um, 
women who were at home were not contributing to society, but their role now was to just make the home a safe place to be. Right. And you had some thoughts on that from, from last time after we got done talking and I can't remember what what that was. Um, Yeah, it was just definitely, it was um, taking the, honestly taking the glory away from the home and taking the uh, gospel centered, uh, the purpose of the home in the Christian sphere, taking that um, and now you're, good works or the gospel work is now outside of the home Mm -hmm. because you know just like they were all saying and and you um will it get to her who talks about um just i forget what her name is you would gilman yeah charlotte perkins gilman yeah Yeah, where she talks about women and economics Mm -hmm. and how the home is a consumer place now it's all about consumerism Mm -hmm. and so it's not contributing to society it's not building the economy it's not it's taking from the economy building uh, and that's where advertising and all that stuff we start to see all that in the what the 50s 40s and 50s yeah when they said um, that when the the first census one of the first census started happening there was really no category for women uh who were working at home that were raising kids and running the household in that. So then that was another shift to, well, then that means they weren't doing anything. So they're not contributing to society. That's right. Yeah. All because they were being counted. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we know, you know, about David and counting and yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, um, so yeah, they, uh, that, but we start to see uh, the industrial revolution and, and along that too, which was going in the back of my mind, which she doesn't really mention, which is okay. Cause I would be opening a can of worms. Usually you <laughs> think going in my mind is opening a can of worms, but <laughs> around the industrial age in this time, we're seeing Marxism, mm-hmm. you know, right? Because it's all about uh, cons- consuming. It's all about the bourgeoisie and the, proletariat and those who are workers and so you see socialism and all this and so it's those two things no longer no god um, right and the industry and the economy is state is not state uh, run of course that's why marx fights against you know he doesn't like mm-hmm. uh i just lost what are what do we live in <laughs> In, in capitalism, capitalism and, um, thing. Yeah. yeah. And a, a uh, democracy, a democracy. And so like he's to him, I've been studying him. He, um, it's a, it's a religion. It's always been a religion and the state mm-hmm. becomes a God. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you start to see those things play in because it's like, since there's no God, someone has to make moral standards and, you you and do justice and fight mm-hmm. for justice and make their own rules and laws and justice and we we see that so then um i'm getting to how it plays here so we see feminism which you will start to show uh margaret sanger and mm-hmm. these marxist socialist thoughts are then going to come in and i mean they're blatant blatant they are oh blatant, sure absolutely mm-hmm. um and that's in the third w- the starting of the third wave mm-hmm. um so anyway 
um, I just think it's fascinating how, man, how going work itself and the economy itself, how that changed in the industrial revolution and in our history, how that even played a huge factor in changing our mindset about what the home is. Sure. And if you think about what part of it with the industrial revolution, you have factories and uh, big corporations or uh, those folks with a, a lot of money. You had women working in the factories that mm-hmm. were and children working in factories right. that were earning very little um, in terrible conditions. So, again, this is back to what I'd mentioned that, you know, this one trade unions were trying to make some inroads with the idea of just making decent working conditions. Mm -hmm. And, but it was also pulling women out of, out of the home and making that more important than what they were doing in the home. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it, it, I don't know what the, the correct word is, but it's just that whole, and then where socialism would have come from that too, is that you see the people with all the haves and then the have nots, and, mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out how to bridge that gap. Right, level it out. And right. Right, again, right. the mor- morality, justice, mm-hmm. um, all set apart from scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating and stuff. So t- what was really shocking to me Charlotte Perkins Gilman, Perkins Gilman, who I had mentioned before uh, in our last episode, had written, uh, she'd written several things as far as uh, literature is concerned, but um, a novella called The Yellow Wallpaper, which still is sort of the ma- mantra of, of feminism, mm-hmm. even today. And it had a huge impact on me back in the day uh, before I was saved. Well, she also, big Darwinist. Uh, what kills me with this, though, is just that how much that women followed her when she really had nothing good to say about women themselves. Yeah. Yeah. She called yeah. them parasites. Yeah. You know, women were parasitic because they were, um, you know, dependent on on the husband, uh, that women were less evolved and would not be able to evolve up to equal to men because they're kept at home. Uh and because they were kept at home, this, as she said, contributed to their inferiority, their undeveloped or stunted mental faculties. Right. <laughs> it's like good grief. And people were listening to this. But so was I back in the day. So, um, you know, she thought that home economics and, and developing uh, better ways to manage a household, you know, uh, labor saving mm-hmm. equipment or efficiencies, making it more scientific would then allow women to move beyond that. Yeah, not be at home and move beyond that and then therefore evolve Mm -hmm. into more intelligence and more ability and and all of that. So she was big on this whole and she wrote the book called uh, Women and Economics, which was not flattering. Uh, Yeah, she she had loathing for the home. Uh, She shared Darwin's low estimation of the female contribution to human progress she just she just had no use for it and, and she'll come up later on i think even with with sanger her her um what the shocking part to me was just how much influence she had during this time and mm-hmm. i had no idea i just thought she was uh, an author that you know women had latched on to for feminism mm-hmm. but she was like right in the thick of it and mm-hmm. 
had a lot of say in the thought of the time and, right. and, and how she, that moved forward. She was doing scientific research and all that, right? She was mm-hmm. uh, working on exactly what she was, what, she, what her goal was, making appliances and testing appliances. And- oh, that's that's actually, I just turned to that page. It's Christine Frederick. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, she's... Yeah, that's okay, because it comes right after that. But um, I guess she was a famous home economist. Honestly, I'd never heard of her. Um, But it was because of her work of trying to make it scientific, using scientific background and and ways of doing things. And uh, she's sort of where it came to the whole good housekeeping, you know, Mm -hmm. the good housekeeping seal. I don't know if that's actually what they use, but that's what I thought of when, when I'm reading about her, where advertisers and uh, inventors and whatnot would bring things to her of of products and gadgets right to get her approval on it and then that's where things ended up shifting then to a more uh, marketplace uh, economy Mm you know consumerism right yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep yeah and that's impacted more than just um our home, which I think is another fascinating thing where my brain goes, you know, if the home is the starting point of raising up godly people, the church is to train the people in there to raise up godly people. Well, mm-hmm. now the, the home was a place of sent gospel was gospel centered. Now it's consumer centered. Mm-hmm. what's going on with the church now consumer centered mm-hmm. it's yep it's un, I, yeah <laughs> yeah no i agree i agree well it you when you think about where this started with advertising and i think advertising has always had issues but um i call it you know the shamelessness of marketing in the early 1900s uh says a shift from the home as a place of production to a place of consumption yep and we see that today. And after World War yeah. II, it really exploded because now the economy is getting better and you know, the war is over and um, you know, the economy is booming. And mm-hmm. it just fed in more and more to that uh, consumerism. And we see it today. Yep. We see yeah. it today. And it's just and we'll get more into that when we get into the chapter on the raunch culture um, and what it is that you know, just that. Uh, Listeners, just think about the advertisements you see or hear. Yes, right. Well, they're just absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. um, one of the things that, yeah, um, what I was, had a note here about what we should know now, but we do not, is the material materialism does not satisfy. Right. Nothing much has changed in advertising since the beginning. Buy the product and you buy the ideal and life will be better and more fulfilling. And what I find interesting is that ads that used to show women as being flighty, unable to make decisions and helpless and um, just going on her looks, which there's still that, Mm -hmm. um, has given away to men being made out to look like idiots. (laughs) Uh, Because if you really watch those commercials, um, and actually, Anth pointed this out to me because I just wasn't really paying attention. And, you know, it's the woman always has the, the last word and she's has some snide remark as the, as these advertisers are doing it yeah. um, toward her her husband. 
Yeah. And uh, and then women using sex as a means of so-called empowerment. Right. Yep. Yeah, she's quotes here. Um, the whole thing about materials materialism she says um if we are honest we will acknowledge that what advertising promises in terms of satisfaction and material goods is an empty promise and that feminists are partly right in rebelling against the mind-numbing consumerism pitched at women no one would find fulfillment in the latest appliances or gadgets that run a home nor will one find lasting fulfillment in attempting to decorate and entertain like the latest uh hospitality Dion, I don't know how I'm pronouncing that right, mm. Doyon, material goods and self-glorifying domestic perfectionism are definitely not the heart of the home. And yet on social media, this is oh, yeah. exactly what we see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. if it's if it's not uh, glorifying, you know, the perfect home, what is it? Some commercial I saw before school started, you know, uh, it was making sandwiches for kids and then we're making these really fancy sandwiches and using the little cookie cutters and, mm-hmm. you know, all the artisan meats and breads and all of that. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what happened to a bologna sandwich? I'm sorry. <laughs> I live oh, on bologna yeah. sandwiches and peanut butter and jelly. Come on. <laughs> Who oh, has well. time for that? It's so, I mean, it's gotten, I mean, so here's a little gripe on the homeschooling community <laughs> that I have that on Facebook and all this stuff, um, it's pretty popular among homeschooling communities for women to portray that kind of look. Cause it's all, you know, it's like, um, they're trying to, uh, make up for something since the world doesn't see us as being helpful to the community to society so we we tried to we kind of overdo it by posting everything that we've done in our Mm -hmm. homeschooling and posting all these wonderful meals that we've made and they all look beautiful and posting our first day of school for each kid and every little thing on facebook now i'm I'm okay you I, i understand that people want to they're proud of things and they want to share it with everybody, but it really, for most of us, well, actually, I'm pretty sure for everybody, we're, we're there looking at these pictures and going, we don't, this is not what my homeschool looks like. This is not what my school looks like. You know, this is not what real life looks like. And that's and- the key. That's not what real life looks like. And that, and that's where we've moved from, you know, that kind of thing with advertising that we still see today to now yes. it's all on social media. Yes. And frankly, well, because we've taken the Bible out of everything, mm-hmm. because we're, we're not following and living our lives and our homes biblically, because men don't always lead their families mm-hmm. as they should, mm-hmm. we're trying to find the satisfaction elsewhere. Right. Right. So then we become our own worst enemies, even within the Christian community, which is, is sad. Yeah. But you're right. It, it really does stem from when you mentioned the homeschooling. And I, I thought that was interesting because I had thought of that is that because society doesn't value the work that women do in the home, raising children, managing the household um, and doing and attempting to do this as biblically as possible, as God honoring as possible, I would hope um, 
they feel like they need to find that satisfaction and that fulfillment elsewhere. The appreciation is what I would say for on my end. I would the appreciation from the world, and I, I, we're not to get appreciation from the world, but to get a yes, you're doing a great job. What you're mm-hmm. doing is, you know, mm-hmm. recognized as very important um, from other people from our community. You know, we we like that. Sure, now, sure. it should be rooted in Christ. It's you know, all of it is taken care of in Christ, and all my needs and satisfaction is found in Him. But I am a sinful person. I admit this. I like being told what you're yeah. doing has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely. And so we, lo- you're you're absolutely right. Instead of okay, these little moments of serving in the home whether you have children or not, or homeschooling or not, but the service in the home, the, the, the main focus is the home, mm-hmm. um, is sometimes over, uh, not, it's overshadowed by uh, getting, trying to get approval. Mm-hmm. And say, so it's not about the gospel then, you know, that if you're doing it and, and showing all this, to two people on social media, right? It's a form of advertisement. You're mm-hmm. advertising yourself and your family mm-hmm. is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And really, and it's, yeah, and it's not to the it, everything that we do is supposed to be to the glory of God. And that and no matter how small that is, and small is, is in our minds. It's, it's not yeah, small, right. raising not kids, truth, even right. though it gets really tedious. I mean, I, I've got friends who have little ones and just that day in day out of you know the same thing all the time and you know feeling because they're so dependent they're not independent at all at you know that young you just begin to feel like you're not doing anything Mm -hmm. yet every day that you faithfully make sure those kids are taken care of and you know you're running your household and um you know, you're there for your husband and there's a whole other side of, you know, him being there for the wife. That's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. there, but that's God honoring. That's ministry. That's, that's doing the work of the Lord. Right. Uh, we, we've gotten so caught up in, it has to be showy. It has to be out there. It has to be recognized, mm-hmm. um, you know, find a platform. Well, yeah. there, there's not really a platform in motherhood. It's, <laughs> or even just right. wifehood, you know, I mean, I don't have kids. Yeah. There's, there's no platform for that. It's just doing what God wants me do. to do faithfully right. every day. Right. Exactly. So, and there's no small job. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the thing that um, I've learned through um, the reformation, especially through Luther. Yes. At the good works. It is, there's no small job. That's mm-hmm. what the world forgets and or doesn't know. It doesn't acknowledge. You have to have this big job and the big corporation that you work for or own a business or or any of this, you know, volunteer for some, mm-hmm. you know, huge place. And and, and then you're recognized. But God right. recognizes the, the humble, meek, just mm-hmm. faithful servant mm-hmm. that does just a simple little, you know, worshiping of him and loving him and, uh, and all by faith and it's just exactly. the simplest thing um yet it has eternal that's something we don't think about too that 
all that we do, submitting to our husbands, loving them. These have eternal consequences, the eternal consequences that are good to our benefit eternally. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that, and that kind of moves into the chapter on, on the mommy wars um, where, you know, motherhood was esteemed as just nothing, you know, that they were, again, we, we touched on this, that if women decided to stay home and raise their children, uh, they were wasting their potential. Mm -hmm. Um, They were wasting their education. They were not contributing to the economy. So Mm -hmm. They were a drag on the economy as a result because they weren't producing anything and weren't producing anything of value. Um, but instead, we're I, consuming. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So we're we're back to consuming. Yeah, we're consuming as being you know if mothers, we're if we're right. mothers and staying staying at home and, and raising kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's the flip side of that too that that you know there are some mothers out there that do have to work for mm-hmm. whatever the reasons are. Correct. There's you yeah. know there's situations all over the place. We talked about different ways of being biblical, you know, mm-hmm. as far as biblical womanhood. Um, well, then, then there's a stigma of, you know, well, you're not being a good enough mom because you don't stay home. Right. And, right. Yeah. So really, um, and looking at motherhood is unskilled labor, which is obviously the people who say that have never been around children. <laughs> good I point. mean, I don't have children, <laughs> but all I do is when I am, it's like, I, <laughs> Anthony and I taught um, first and second grade Sunday school for about a year or so. Um, we only had six kids in that classroom on average. Yeah. I don't know how teachers do it yeah. five days a week with 30 to 40 of them. And, yep. you know, mothers that have, you know, just more than one kid. I mean, yeah, good grief, right. trying to not just to keep them alive. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, that's skilled labor, you know. <laughs> so, yes, it is. It's management. There's so much going on in that. It's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's a lack of respect for the role and the skill needed to raise children. And yeah. as she says, and as you and I both know, that the hardest hit in all of this are the kids. Yeah, um, they're they're the ones that uh, that pay for all of this in in feminism and and liberalism and you know, non-biblical living. Yeah. And um, she gets into it even more when she brings up Margaret Sanger and abortion. Yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, that's the ultimate uh, degradation to say that kids shouldn't be born. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, children um, are now disposable. Yeah. And, you know, I know this kind of took me by surprise not long after I became a Christian, um, you know, reading the Old Testament and, and talking about uh, the idol of Molech and uh, people sacrificing their children to Molech. And it's like, man, how could you do that? You know, how, how could you even think to do that? Mm-hmm. And then someone pointed out to me, abortion really isn't much different than that. Right. That's why they sacrificed, right? Because it's, if you sacrifice your child, you are hoping to get something back. Exactly. Hoping to succeed, hoping Mm -hmm. to grow in some way or something. And, you know, it's appeasing the God Mm -hmm. that you believe in. And it's no different. The God you believe in is yourself. So you're going to sacrifice your child so that you can go ahead and live the life you want. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And um, Sanger, you know, she was the founder of the modern birth control movement. Um, essentially, you know, with with abortion, she uh, she organized 1921 American Birth Control League, which became Planned Parenthood. 
which we all know about. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a huge proponent of eugenics. And it's, and when we're saying a proponent of eugenics for her, that, you know, that kind of philosophy was used in Nazi Germany. Right. So explain a little bit what eugenics is. I don't know who listens and if they know this term. um, Yeah, they know this because I'm I'm going (laughs) to do a a terrible definition of it um, as I understand it. But it's essentially eliminating any um, individual child or even adult that um, can't contribute to society. Um, So mentally challenged individuals Mm -hmm. would uh, be sacrificed, and I'm using the word sacrifice, she doesn't use the word sacrifice, mm-hmm. that all of that is is a way to keep society more clean. whole, more pure, clean. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yeah. a, a good way to put it. Producing um, what they believe will be the ultimate um, perfect man in, mm-hmm. in the end, for the mm-hmm. perfect society in the end. Right, which would be a freer society, because um, if this were to happen, then women would be more freed up. And of course, you know, she also uh, believed in a, a free, free or sexual yep. um, idea. Which, which, by the way, that is, again, where Marxism, I mean, there is um, just a lot of the more recent Marxists are believe that sex somehow will lead, free sex will somehow lead to a utopia. Really? Oh, yes. Because I don't, I don't know uh, a whole Paul lot. Paul Ferrari is some I've been re- uh, reading about. Paul Ferrari. Wow. Um, there's other names that I can't think of right now. But basically, <laughs> I've been studying the whole groomer thing, and that's just yeah. Again, my rabbit holes that I go into. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's um, back as far as the early '80s and '70s. You have People that just believe that sexual, uh, if you are free to act out sexually, however you feel, Mm -hmm. that will, Mm -hmm. that will, as it's almost if they think that it will squash the sinful nature of man, because he will be able to live, however, you know, live out his fantasies Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, it'll bring on a free society and a utopia in which then there's no hierarchy, right? no male female Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this is where we are seeing this Mm -hmm. um took especially in the school system and yeah transgender and all that so it's yeah exactly there is a thin red line or i don't know if you want to say it's a thick red line but there's a line that connects all of this Mm -hmm. to where we are now Mm -hmm. well and the bottom line as as we've mentioned is it's sin it's people um, not wanting any kind of authority over them. They mm-hmm. certainly don't want God and a holy God. That, and so it becomes people want what they want when they want it, however they can get it. Yep. And we twist it and turn it into ideas and philosophies and make it sound intellectual or um, in some way purifying. And it's just sin. It's calling good, or it's calling evil good. Well, good. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. That's exactly it. And, you know, I, I used to do a lot of this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I, it made sense, but, you know, as I've been reading in, in my um, just scripture reading, we have hardened hearts. And so 
because we have hardened hearts, we don't hear the scripture. We don't hear what God is is saying to us through scripture or through good pastors mm-hmm. or whatever. We don't want to hear it. So we cut that off and somehow we manage because I did. I couldn't tell you how, but at the time that stuff made sense. Mm-hmm. I could see where it would satisfy our flesh. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, and then actually that's a, a good segue really into, you know, just the whole idea of in the next chapter of chapter seven, which is the raunch culture. Yep. Can and, I um, read a couple of her yeah, uh, please. quotes just so people. Oh can, yeah, please do. I mean, it's blunt. <laughs> All right. So yeah. on page 130, she says, uh, this is um, Macaulay quoting Sanger. When women have raised the standards of sex ideals and purged the human mind of its unclean conception of sex, the found the fountain of the race will have been cleansed. And she's, I think, talking about the white race here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mothers will bring forth in purity and in joy a race that is morally and spiritually free. Can I mean? <laughs> I wrote, I wrote, whoa, (laughs) in the margin on that one. I was like, oh my goodness. And here's another one. Yeah. Here's another one. So um, this is by the way, from uh, woman and the new race, a book written by Sanger. When motherhood becomes a fruit uh, and you quoted this, the bottom part of this, but I'm going to read the whole quote. So yeah, please. Uh, when motherhood becomes a fruit of a deep yearning, not the result of ignorance or accident, its children will become the foundation of a new race. This is that the eugenics talking there. Okay. Mm-hmm. There will be no killing of babies in the womb by abortion, nor through neglect and foundling homes, nor will there be infanticide. The relentless efforts of reactionary authority to suppress the message of birth control and of voluntary motherhood are futile. The powers of reaction cannot now prevent the feminine spirit from breaking its bonds. When the last letter, when the last fetter falls, the evils that have resulted from the suppression of women's will to freedom will pass. Child slavery, prostitution, feeble mindedness, physical deterioration, hunger, oppression, and war will disappear from the earth. Okay, moving on in the quote, when the womb becomes fruitful through the desire of an aspiring love, another Newton will come forth to unlock further the secrets of the earth and the stars. There will come a Plato who will be understood, a Socrates who will drink no hemlock, and a Jesus who will not die upon the cross. Uh Just horrifying. Speechless. Yeah. <laughs> See, true. This is what they believe. The sexual freedom mm-hmm. will somehow magically produce make all these utopia. other ills. Yep. Uh-huh. Make all these other ills go away. You know, no. child slavery, prostitution. Yep. Aren't those things worse now? Yeah. As a result of sexual freedom. A uh, good point. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't quite understand the connecting of the dots there, yeah. but, um, but I did, you know, love what uh, McCulley said was just because she put the, uh, and a Jesus who will not die upon the cross. She, she put that in italics and mm-hmm. she just wrote, God forbid, yes. God forbid, because if there's no way that this world could be atoned for without 
the mm-hmm. death and resurrection of Christ. Yep. But again, it's that Darwinism mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. it all. Yeah. Now she gets a little bit here afterwards, you know, moving on from, um, from a singer. Cause I think we're done enough. I don't know that it's just going to make me angry. <laughs> yeah. to talk about her. Um, but she's, uh, she does talk about, you know, how we now are starting to see sex selection, all this, mm-hmm. um, choice, you know, forming of, or choosing my body, my choice. And then now choosing about children and, and, and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think, uh, <sighs> It's this, um, and then she she gets into what I thought was very interesting, connecting it somehow to spirit spiritism. Did you notice that? Yeah, um, and I remember back in the day with some of my um, literature classes, vaguely, only just because I didn't focus on it. But yeah, the whole idea of spiritists um, really were just. Um, people that just believed in free sex and open marriages and, or no marriages and that kind of thing. No laws, no human codes. She says, Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and it's, so I've, I was very, um, intrigued by this, uh, cause that's kind of where we're at with the whole, uh, sexual revolution now still talking about, you know, being free to do whatever and Mm -hmm. be whoever now right no human laws uh, there's so to to connect it to what i've known as spiritism was very interesting um basically she says that feminism seeks to revile god's name and word through it it has sown much discord and false teaching and young women today are of course reaping the the bad fruit mm-hmm. absolutely yeah all the stuff that they that they predicted was going to be better as a result of abortion and freer sexuality and all of that mm-hmm. um, hasn't happened. And it, like I said, it's actually worse. You, you know, child slavery, prostitution, um, actually, you know, with abortion, selecting the sex of a child. Um, it, yeah. yeah, it just goes it's- on and on. And we'd be here all night doing that. So Yeah. And I think it's very fascinating that it's just so contrast is the freedom from sexual morals is a complete and utter contrast from what god tells us who calls us to sexual purity mm-hmm. it is completely opposite and yet it's supposed to lead us to utopia new heavens and new earth by their standards while god talks about how you know sexual purity <laughs> is well yeah because they they look at they look at sexual purity as um restrictive and um but isn't it go ahead and actually just as against the well they would say women you know that Mm -hmm. that they're tied down into these um monogamous yeah Yeah, to the roles roles right of mother and wife and Mm -hmm. homemaker and which in titus 2 that's what we're instructed to do and be pure Mm -hmm. um sexually be pure yeah right yeah um so in chapter that was all chapter seven right that was six <laughs> oh <laughs> okay because i read i read a couple of the quotes i think right it was just from uh oh no i didn't read okay uh from seven i don't really have much 
uh, except for I did mark this as highlight, which I thought was interesting uh, for chapter seven on page 170, 170. Frau Maria Lichnuesca, I, I'm butchering her last name, uh, promoted that the school, and this we see, school is not only the best way of introducing sexual hygiene, how to be sexually active as well, of course, mm-hmm. it is the only possible way since through this channel alone, it is possible to employ an antidote to the evil influences of the home and the world. Wow. <laughs> I do have that bracketed. Yeah, that's yeah. By, um, that's quoted from the book, The Task of Social Hygiene by Havelock Ellis. So, um, but we definitely see that in school system. And I highlighted that because, yeah, I saw that growing up, most definitely. Um Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'd... We have home ec in classes, mm-hmm. which we mm-hmm. have seen now home ec is all about when we were in school. I don't know if you had home ec when you were in school. Did, but it was the, the standard of, you know, cooking, mm-hmm. sewing. Mm-hmm. And attached then to home ec was they would show a, a talk. We'd get the the talk. Next talk. <laughs> yeah, the talk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still connected now. Um, when I was growing up, it wasn't connected. There was there was that time when, you know, you had you sent home the yeah the parental slip, your mom or dad signed it. And then you got to watch the stupid movie about how your body worked and all of that. Yeah. It was I, as corny as all get out. But yeah, but no. it didn't involve sex. No. Not not back in my time. Uh, did you get to carry around a bag of flour as if it was a baby for a week? That thankfully was happening just as I was getting out of high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I that's did how, not have to deal with that. That's how that kind of, I think, was blended in. Because if I remember correctly, uh, you'd te- learn about cooking and stove, how a stove worked and dealing with your budget and stuff like that. And then um, there was the talk of, uh, you know, being a mother having to carry around a baby. It, I actually was so technically advanced. I don't know how it is now. I had a baby that would cry. And so I took the oh, baby. Wow. Yeah, it was, it would set to go off at all sorts of times and it would cry. And I had to carry it to, to you know, everybody at, at some certain part of the semester would be carrying around babies <laughs> in the school. So oh, my. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. And, and actually, you know, my own little heart. I was like, yeah, I like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) good. Sorry for preparing you. But that's how, you know, after that, you'd have to uh, watch the videos and we had to watch a baby being born. So you had to see it in, you know, natural birth and. Oh man, we didn't have any of that. Oh my goodness. Oh, I would have been, I would have passed out. Are you kidding me? Um, I fear (laughs) that eventually you're going to have videos of oh, and yeah. of, of transgender people having babies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you see, I've already seen the advertisements for, you know, male prenatal <laughs> vitamins. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, chapter eight is titled Feminine Faith, and she ends it on a good note, really. <laughs> After <Sure>. all that. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, she does get a little bit on how it's affected the church. So she starts Mm -hmm. first by looking at how it affected the church. And I definitely, uh, see this uh, lately. You see it 
in our seeker sensitive churches and you are really seeing it now by calling women being titled as leaders women becoming mm-hmm. pastors um you know all of this um and one of the things i really appreciate that she pointed out is how it not only because it comes into the church it's affecting theology and now it brings up uh since you know god was male mm-hmm. now we're switching the pronouns for god oh yeah we're making god god the mother and because the the theory the theory behind that when some um some arenas is that because some people had terrible fathers um and there was abuse and whatnot that that's traumatic Mm -hmm. to have god as father Hmm. instead of teaching that god is the ideal father Mm -hmm. you know he is he is holy and he doesn't do wrong and um so instead of fostering that it's no we we can't have to use the term triggered Uh, we can't have people triggered by that Mm -hmm. so it's yeah 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 and i've started it's really coming into the seeker sensitive church in fact it was rick warren's church that had women um and i think it was um woke preachers posted a video showing women giving a lesson to the church on calling uh godmother and literally taking a psalm that is full of the male pronouns and changing them to the female pronouns mm-hmm. to, to have them not only sing songs that are dedicated to the godmother but uh change a change the scriptures mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's uh it's it's gotten out of hand. Well, so many things have. Um, yep. What one of the things that I wrote as I was, you know, going through this chapter eight, and even thinking about arguments that women have, feminist women who aren't believers and know just enough of the Bible or have had enough exposure to church, um, you know, so little knowledge is dangerous kind of mm-hmm. thing. What I would challenge any woman, you know, even a listener who is is a believer read your Bible. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's what I was admonished to me early on when I was, you know, questioning um, some of my liberal thoughts, you know, and I said, well, read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible and you don't know what it says, you can't make an argument. Right. If you're just taking what you're, what you're reading and the fact that these folks are cherry picking scriptures, you're going to get led astray. Mm-hmm. And so that whole idea of Bible reading and continually reading the Bible and every year you, you just have to keep, you, know, you try to read the Bible in a year, but just read the Bible right? because you have to keep having that in your mind. I can't quote chapter and verse. I know where things are. I'm, I'm much better at um, remembering verses, but not necessarily where they're from. I can give you a good ballpark. Right. But those things, the Lord and the Holy Spirit will bring those things to mind when you're reading things that seem plausible and, you know, the little red flag will, or will pop up, you know, mm-hmm. the little bell will go off in the back of your head. It's like, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right here mm-hmm. and go back to scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And specifically, I wish somebody had told me like, cause growing up Christian I wish somebody had said go to scripture 
more more often than what I was mm-hmm. doing as a young teen mm-hmm. and young adult, but do it in context. Yes. Do it in context. Yes, absolutely. So, because that's yeah. the only way you're going, you're going to understand it. You know, and are you going to understand it the first go around with everything? Of course no, not. That's right. why you're supposed to continue to read it. Correct. Right. The Holy Spirit will bring to you what you need to learn when you need to learn it. Yeah. Um, yep. But, but she, you gotta, you know, and just something else I want to emphasize that, you know, even she talked about um, in this, this last chapter is, uh, and I'm not going to quote it because Jesus treated women well. Mm-hmm. He taught women, women were his followers. They, when you see, you know, it mentions about him having followers of women that were helping to sustain um, his ministry and uh, take care of the disciples and providing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he respected and protected women. Okay. But he never chose a female leader. Mm-hmm. Right. So look to Jesus. Okay. Yep. Women still had, they had their role to play and it was mm-hmm. an important role and they were valued for that role. Mm-hmm. And uh, as she mentions that Paul did the same, you know, he, he, followed Jesus's lead on that. Lydia mm-hmm. founded a church in her home. Mm-hmm. He, he often in his epistles would thank various women of the church along with men for the work that they did and, and the, the help that they, he, they had given him. Um, Phoebe delivered his letter to Rome, right? Mm-hmm. but none of them were church leaders. Right. He did not choose women as church leaders. Yep. And, you know, that doesn't make women lesser than. No. And that is the lie that feminism continually tries to pound into women's heads. And the problem is, and, and the reason that you and I are, are so emphatic about this book is that there's so many women, possibly my age, but definitely younger ones, that this is so ingrained into the culture, they don't even know that it's there. Yeah. I'm still wrestling with what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, even as long as you've been a Christian, as long as you've been a strong Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, strong believer and, you know, these things still come to the forefront for you. So you can imagine what, what they are for others. So, right. You got to know your history and, you know, we're, we're touting this book because this is a, a, not a huge book. It's not an academic book. It's a very practical book and you can learn a lot. And she weaves into this, how what God's definition of all of these things are. Right. And it's all good. And read the Bible for yourself and see it. And yeah. <laughs> see how women are are uh, held up to uh, honor. Mm-hmm. They really are held up to honor. Now, before we end, we've said all sorts of good things about this book. I have one grape. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let me have it. It's really not bad, actually. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> So in in this portion of the chapter eight, in dealing with how the feminine feminist feminism affected the church, um, and now why we're seeing all these women pastors and all this stuff, she quotes this on page one ninety, because women historically have been largely excluded from participating in church life. When the door opened to proclaim the gospel and share in the spiritual harvest, it's understandable that they would associate that kind of ministry with the pastorate. I only have a gripe in the fact 
and it's probably not against her because she is, I think, observing. These are words of her observation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's hit on ahead. I wish she had gone into a little more detail that the mere fact that women were seen as excluded from participating in church where we, I think, have gone wrong is not including the home as church life period that it is part of church life it is part of the ministry that god has deemed to spread the gospel Mm -hmm. to children to the next generation and instead it's become this uh the like we've been talking consumerism of the home the home is Mm -hmm. um all for our own selfish to meet our selfish needs and is not a part of church life. Church life is separate from the home. And I think that's the problem. I wish she had seen that connection and had drawn it out and had said uh, a little more on this is, this would have been where we, the church should have said, no, you women, what you are doing is so important because it's it really most churches do not we, we no you're right mother, I hadn't thought of that mm-hmm. we celebrate the mother on Mother's Day and we give parent they give parenting advice but it's not seen as evangelistic in its nature it's not seen as gospel centered in its nature and I think that's a that's a sad sad thing no I agree I agree no that that's a good observation and um yeah I guess she could have could have hit on that as well and um, I guess maybe I took it a bit too, is that, um, and I've seen this in, in other books about, you know, if your church isn't encouraging its women to um, learn theology, yes, start it or talk that to your too. pastor or find another church. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, right. Right. It's become more about what you can do for the church mm-hmm. itself, maintaining it. And stuff like that. Um, at least that's what it was for my experience growing up in the sinker sense. It, well, not growing up necessarily, but really doing a lot in the seeker sensitive um, churches. Mm-hmm. And and right, it totally that was the biggest thing for me was my service was to the church in in and and that's where she had gotten to so she had talked about how you know women were then able to serve communion and and um pray and read scripture and you know hand out communion and i'm all for you know mm-hmm. they can do that mm-hmm. um and that was the thing that needed to be corrected in my sure. opinion Sure. But again, <laughs> it goes too far mm-hmm. to say that all of it, that now women have to be at equal par doing all right. the roles right? Um, instead of honoring the roles that God has given them. And that's just a sad thing. Well, and then that goes back to then seeing our role as, as less value mm-hmm. when that's not the case. That's not how God set it up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't know that other than that, that was I think, I think book. we're done. <laughs> yeah. I love that book and I would read it again. This yep. is my second go round. And the second go round is when I was writing notes and whatnot. And, um, I have one young lady that I'd, I'd like to, uh, 
to give this to, but she's in school right now. So she's got enough reading to do. <laughs> so I promise not to inundate her with stuff. Because I'm always gets. recommending books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, Radical Womanhood, Carolyn McCulley. The fact that it was written in 2008 doesn't make any difference. Mm-mm. It's it's as relevant, if not more so now, because you can see the progression. Oh, yeah. Well, progression is a positive term, and that's not, yes. that's not the <laughs> Regression. Regression. There you go. Disintegration. <laughs> <laughs> Sodom and that? Gomorrah is where yeah. we're going. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. And, and, you know, ladies, you want to be empowered, read your Bible. Uh-huh. And, and I, yeah. yep. I, I'm talking what I've been a Christian 18 years now, 19 years. Yep. And it just becomes more important every year. Yeah. And that's really and does. That, and the good thing about scripture is, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have kids, whether you're married, <laughs> none of it. Cause nope. yeah, it's all going to train you up for whatever you need. Whatever God uh, puts in front of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. To live God. Thank you. Yep. Oh, thank well, you thank very you. much for coming on to my show again Third i appreciate time. that i know in one I've had season fun. too <laughs> <laughs> you were <Yeah>. really liked <laughs> uh, well i really have a lot of fun with you and i i like we're book nerds what can uh-huh. we say <laughs> yep, yep. We're, so now we're always we'll gonna to, bond on a book we'll have to find something else we will we will you know we will yeah <laughs> just a matter <laughs> of what and when yeah, some really good theological book. Yeah. Not not that this one wasn't theological. No, it was rich. It really was. Too. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, ladies, I hope these Titus Two Time episodes got you thinking. Feminism has been inculcated into our culture and it has its tendrils in our thinking. It is the visible outworking of the curse among us, the desire to rule over or usurp creation and the authority given to men by God. There is not one woman who is not born with this sinful inclination. And really, this is all because we are like Eve. We do not believe that God is good and his way is right. And we, like Eve, see the fruit and hear the lie that we can be like God and be our own masters. But in Christ, we are set free to see the goodness, love, righteousness, sovereignty, and justice that is our God. If we grasp these things, we are set free from feeling like we have to have control and rule over our lives. And in trust and faith in the goodness and sovereignty of God, we'll joyfully submit to Him. And it really is, as Scripture says, a beautiful display of the gospel, of the church's submission to Christ, Ephesians 5.24. And that's what I pray for you, that you come to know this God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through this knowledge, you are brought to repentance and faith. Living by faith, you draw near to Him, believing that He exists and rewards those who seek Him, Hebrews 11.6. In this faith, I pray God sanctifies you in His Word as your submission to it produces the beautiful works of radical, biblical womanhood. I pray you are in His Word.
Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.